Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week, we're going to get a bit wonky, my friends. (laughs) Public banking is the arena we're exploring with our guest, Julian LaRosa. Julian is a big player in California's public banking movement, and he sees public banking as a way to start democratizing the economy and loosening Wall Street's grip. But before he became a numbers guy on the left, he was brought up in a conservative Republican family in Seattle eventually finding his way to the military and being deployed to Iraq. listeners of (laughs) of what's left to do well today we're sitting down uh with the man with the plan the economic plan he has many among them are public banking and what else um public banking uh how do you improve i guess how do you democratize the economy? That's the plan. Yeah, that's that's, that's how just how we get workers running companies. There how we do go. we can it reverse the inequalities in political representation, uh, taxing the rich, yeah, corporations? Just, yeah, you know, small, easy things like that. Uh, <laughs> just your everyday Tuesday reform. Just like. your Tuesday talking it out. We're going to change things. It's going to get better. <laughs> we are speaking today with Julian. Uh, this interview almost didn't happen because your dear host is a little bit of an asshole and <laughs> ribbed the fuck out of him during a card game before I realized who it was. That's fine. Um, but he's a better person than I am. I'm nobody. He is a better person than I am uh, in every, probably every aspect of life. Uh, but we are happy to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, you know, solving problems, balancing equations, casually taking interviews in the afternoon. You're just, you're vibing. That's yep. what it sounds like. That's what I do. Yes. <laughs> ah, um, so I, this is, this is actually my third third time (laughs) is my third time meeting you in person but I initially made Julian's acquaintance this was it was either during it might have been before ADEMS but it might have been during ADEMS um but you and I are both you know involved in SF Braincrats um and so and you are like Lakshas are go-to housing person you are go-to like public banking person which is a very important issue uh so I made I made your acquaintance virtually uh some time ago but now we're friends in person and that's just that uh but i'm i'm interested in speaking in sitting down to speak with you uh because i think you (laughs) there are areas there there are areas or arenas of political contestation that aren't talked about as much uh among leftists or progressives i don't know what your preferred term is um but you know numbers in in my experience 
often gets overlooked, uh, but that's absolutely uh, areas that we need to look at, particularly public banking, not just public banking, but right. you're, you're, our, you're our numbers uh, person, one of many numbers persons. Uh, so I'm very interested in talking about the current moment, but I'm, I must start at the beginning to, because I'm dying to know how you ended up, you know, getting, uh, getting, getting, or using your, using your energy, your activism, your organizing, your brain power uh, in this particular arena and not others. Because there, I mean, God knows, there's just, there are a number of things you could be focusing on. But uh, I'm interested in understanding how we got here. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where'd you grow up, Julian? I grew up in Seattle. Oh! Up in the great Pacific Northwestern corner. Okay. Yeah. Cold and rainy. Cold and rainy, yes. Cold, okay. I think they, as far as I know, set the record for most consecutive days of rain. Oof. Did it, like, did you, <laughs> was, were you just used to that growing up? Like, or did it still suck? You get used to it. Like, from September to May, it's just like, you just count on it raining any day of the week. And, and then, and you just some days, it. some days it rains for 45, 50 days straight. Some days wow. you go like a month without rain. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, <laughs> what was it like growing up in the, in the, in the drizzly, moist Pacific Northwest? I loved it. Like you get, you, I mean, I was born there, so I got used to sure. rain any day, but also the summers are gorgeous. Mm. Like there's so many lakes to mm. go, just like hang out on a raft. And where, where in Seattle did you grow up? What neighborhood or what area? I bounced around quite a bit between mm -hmm. like Seattle, or not Seattle, obviously like Northgate, Ballard, uh, mm -hmm. South End. Yeah. Why, why were you bouncing around? You just moved a lot in my childhood. Yeah. Okay. All right. What did your What did your parents do for work growing up? Uh, I had a single mom who mm -hmm. worked uh, kind of several jobs, like in sales, and then was an administrator at the church. Mm. Uh, and then went to work at uh, what was Swedish Hospital and is now Providence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she's still there. Okay. as At the hospital? Yep. Okay. She does like budget work. Oh, some kind. Yeah. okay. Like budget admin kind okay. of Okay. Is that, was that your first exposure to kind of the number stuff? I mean, I mom? was never exposed to it outside of knowing that she okay. kind of like crunched the numbers. Uh -huh. But like... She yeah, didn't bring never, her number crunching home? Number crunching no, home, that's a weird way of saying never that. that I noticed. <laughs> she works from home often, but like uh, I never, like, I was too busy being a kid to pay attention fair. to mom's work. Very fair, very fair. <laughs> now, were you, were you the only child or you had siblings? Yes. Technically, I do have two brothers. They're half brothers that uh, I'm half brothers 15 years, I'm 15 years older than the oldest oh, one. Okay. And Big he gap. lives uh, with my dad down in LA. Gotcha, so gotcha, gotcha. I do have brothers, but they were like very distant and much you. younger and you so you 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 you're i was basically raised as an only child gotcha. and like the end of my teenage years i was like i have little brothers that i see like a, a weekend every week. other year so gotcha 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 okay um what um so describe for me what it was like growing up with your single mom like did you got like was she was she one of those moms that was like very good at like planning activities for like you and all the other little kids was she this was a different era, so I'm sure she was not a helicopter parent because that just was not a thing then. But like, right. describe that for me. She was very like she was. She worked a lot. Like, I just, every day it was like get dropped off at school at like mm -hmm. seven in the morning and mm -hmm. then get picked up at like six mm -hmm. and then eventually started going to like YMCA after school, like oh, take right the on. bus. Mm -hmm. uh, stayed a lot like with my grandma who also lived in Seattle or okay. go stay at friends' houses and their parents would watch me for a while when mm -hmm. she was working or she'd go on business trips okay. for like a weekend. But mm 
I mean, everything was pretty calm in pretty my childhood. Chill. Yeah. yeah. Like just kind of from like seven till six, mm-hmm. got used to kind of raising myself in the afternoons. I mm. think like a lot of kids do with yeah. single parents. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. Latchkey kid. Did you, did you, growing up, did you have a sense of like your family's like class standing or did you think that more or less like most kids lived like you? I mean, I, I knew there was a lot of things we couldn't afford. Like I just got used to like, I would still be able to do funds that like we'd go to the movies and like get pizza and everything. But then yeah. there were other things. It was like, we couldn't go on vacation so much or we'd like drive mm. across the state to go visit family. Mm-hmm. But it was rare to be like, we're going out to Hawaii or Disneyland. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, sure. Like I would, I would go visit my dad like every year. Uh-huh. And, and he, he was would, in he California. Would, he lives in LA and oh, okay. would take me to like Disneyland and all that. Gotcha, gotcha. But like the big stuff, you didn't get to do like a ton of big stuff, but like little, like little. Right. We just things. had to be really cautious, like with like back to school money, uh-huh. like going, getting new clothes. It was always just like, you know, going to like Marshalls and Ross and sure, sure, sure. just kind of bargain shopping. Uh-huh. Do you think you under, how did you under, how do you think you understood that growing up? I, I didn't like understand class and all that kind of stuff. Well, how did, well, uh, but that's I, a big I knew that like my friend's parents, mm. like they, they would be able to go on vacations and shopping and do all the fun stuff. But how do you think and I just you knew we didn't make as much, but as a child. I didn't process. I just accepted that. Like, that's just that's how just, it is. Okay. Like, okay. Huh. just got, I just basically like we just grew up like I was just. You just got a bargain shop. You got to kind of be cheap and mm-hmm. stretch as far as you can go. And, gotcha. That yeah. was just your understanding of it. It was just very routine and, yeah. and understood. Huh. Okay. What type of student were you growing up? Ooh. Ooh. I was a good student until sixth grade. Why? I don't know. I think I just, like, I was really into reading and doing all the normal school stuff. And then up I think in sixth, sixth grade. grade? Then I was like, I, I was what, like 12 or something? I was like, I'm too old to be reading like Harry Potter books and all this stuff. I was, mm. like, I was just too cool for school and from sixth grade on. And uh-huh. then, yeah, high school, I was a terrible student. But uh, when you say you got, okay, when you got too cool for school in sixth grade, did that mean you just, you didn't try as hard? You were, you were, you were bored? You were trying to be anti? Like, what? I was bored i had uh, like i was more interested in like video games and playing sports and hanging out with my friends than mm-hmm. i was reading books and doing math and mm-hmm. history and all that now i'm like super into reading <laughs> That's all i'm reading my first fiction book i've read since i got out of college seriously and like it's all just been like politics and economics books constantly and sure, then i was sure, like sure. finally got a fiction book the other day i'm like this this is sick yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> sick let me give my brain a rest a little bit uh-huh what um so did that cause a little bit of trouble at home like your your the decrease in your scholastic enthusiasm I mean, i'd get yelled at like bring a report card home it's like all c's and a b mm-hmm and my mom would be like, you need to get progress reports every week. And I would get them, but it's still like, it's not fixing my grades. It's just, yeah. I'm getting signatures. But mm-hmm. I was just too focused on having fun uh-huh. okay. and staying eligible for sports. But I knew I wasn't going to college uh-huh. at that time. I just wasn't interested. Well, wait, you weren't, you meant you weren't going to, you knew that you weren't going to college for sports at that time, or you didn't think you were going to college at all? For either. I went back to school later. Oh, so okay. after high school. Why I, did you not? Why did you kind of write off college in middle school? I don't know. I think once I started getting bad grades, I was just like, I don't, I don't need college for stuff. Like I just wanted. Really? I don't know. At that time, like everyone in my family didn't have college degree. Like most people I knew didn't have college. My dad really? didn't okay. go to college. Okay. And so uh-huh. 
I was just like, it's a cool thing you can do if you are like smart and have money and whatnot. Ah, uh, okay. I just wasn't interested at the time. I see. And why do you? And what happened in high school that you continued to not be such a great student? I mean, what happens to everyone when they're a teenager? <laughs> a lot of people. I just I got interested in partying and sure. I was more interested in the social life than okay. school. And so, what was your social life like in high school? Um. We'll leave. I, I, we, we won't talk specifics, but I got into a lot of trouble. A lot. Yes. Like property crime trouble or like just cussing out your fucking teacher's trouble or what? Oof. Or the both and more. What? There, there was little bits of legal trouble. Uh, hmm. A lot of times it was like skipping school and just drugs and alcohol mostly. Just oh, okay. kind of. Being an irresponsible, reckless kid. Uh, did uh, you? Why do you? Was it? What do you think that was about? Looking back, like acceptance, just like checking out, a little bit of both. You wanted some mischief. You wanted a little bit of rebellion. What was? What was? What was animating you? Do you think? I think rebellion is kind of the core thing of it. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess I've always just been kind of a bit of like a risk taker in things. Uh, Tell me what you mean by that. I don't know. I just you like, do know. Tell me what you mean by that. Uh, I mean, I started. I started with substances when I was like twelve and thirteen. Okay. And so it was just like, you get bored of one, so you got to go on to the next thing, and then. What were your? If you don't mind me, and you can tell me to fuck off. What were your substances of choice at that point? Oh, I don't. I don't feel like talking about that. But basically, okay. anything, okay. anything okay. I could get my hands on, I was down to try. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, and that and that ran its course throughout high school. Yeah. And th- was there any what what if any was the turning point or like when you kind of got tired of that or? I cleaned up for a while when I was in the army. Uh, you went to the army right after high school. I took a year off after high school. Okay. And then joined the army and for did you do it with specifically with the idea or the the desire for like structure or just to get out of town there's so many reasons Mm. Uh, a lot like most of the men in my family have been in the military like almost all of them are in the army oh wow and it was like this not the summer after high school but the one after Mm -hmm. i was just bored and hanging out at home Uh and it was like right as the recession was starting hey Mm mm-hmm and I just, I could, I was like, had just turned 19 and was looking for work and couldn't find any. Sure, and sure, sure. Obviously, when you're 19 and don't have a school or, like, there wasn't much hiring, especially during a global recession. Sure, sure, um, sure. And a recruiter called me and I was just like, I, I'm not doing anything. Sure, I'll come talk to you. Wow. And it just, like, it just seemed like the thing to do since everyone, like, all the guys in my family, like my grandparents, my uncles, my dad, sure. everyone had been in. So, kind I of did like it. this is like a this is a this is a um, this is a story or a pattern that I understand. Not a pattern. There's a better word for that. I can't. But this is a sequence that I understand and that kind of makes sense and seems accessible. Is that yeah. does that sound accurate? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So up to this point, where you're you're about to you're answering the call from a recruiter, and I mean you were very young, so I don't necessarily expect like a sophisticated answer but like what was your understanding of like your own or your mother or your communities or your family's like politics or ideology up to this point like do you do you have any memories of how you were understanding that at the time 
I grew up in a very Republican family. Hmm. Like, almost everyone's very conservative, mm-hmm. uh, which is partly why I, as much as I despise their politics, uh-huh. like I do believe that there are good, like people have good intentions. They have sure. a reason why they believe things, sure. and so like. We disagree on a lot of things. A lot of my family's been in like evangelical churches where uh-huh. like I just don't uh, agree with mm-hmm. their views, mm-hmm. but that's their views. I don't think they're bad people. Like sure. they have, yeah. So, sure, sure, sure. I mean, I grew up that way, and like growing up, like that's just the reality you're taught. Mm-hmm. And then, how would you as dis- I got away from the church, I started kind of adjusting and mm-hmm. kind of viewing the world a different way. Okay, uh, but what know. were you what describe what that reality meant for you growing up? Was it was it was it a politics born out of like an extremely conservative kind of strain of Christianity? And like, what did that mean for you and like how you saw the world? Um, I mean, I wasn't like, I didn't like really care about politics mostly as a mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. I remember like when the wars were kicking off, like mm-hmm. in 2001, 2002. Yeah. Like nine uh-huh. 11 happened. And like, like I said, all my family had been in the army and they're all Republicans. And it was just like, they bombed us. We were going to go to war. It mm-hmm. seemed fine. Mm-hmm. And then Iraq happened. And I was still like, you know, like so many Republicans believed in the war yeah, at that yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And so like that, I mean, that's part of what eventually I joined the army because mm-hmm. I was like, we're we're freeing Iraq. And then I got there and we'll, we can talk about that also. But sure, sure, uh, sure. I lost faith in the war when I was there. Yeah, and of course. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. How would you not? Um, but yeah, I mean, that like... That was probably like my first real like experience in politics was mm-hmm. seeing the international mm-hmm. angle mm-hmm. of the After wars. After you had gotten to the service, no, when I was a teenager, like oh, oh I, just the war the in Iraq started uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh-huh. and so like I wasn't really following politics until like seventh grade. Uh-huh. Um, what were the terms? but like I remember like my like the church I grew up in was mm-hmm. very much like anti-abortion, mm-hmm. anti-LGBT. And so like, that was just kind of. What denomination was it? It's, they say non-denominational. If you're familiar with like Calvary yeah. Chapel church, kind of, it's like, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm. It's very conservative ideologically, but mm-hmm. they kind of brand themselves as like, less traditional than like the catholic church Uh uh and so like yeah okay all right so you so your understanding your understanding of your community's politics your or the 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 kind of political context you were in was like pretty conservative pretty republican and you as a child you you kind of you, you are um you are like the people around you. You believe what you are taught to believe and, and what you're socialized to believe. And you were, would you say you were kind of like a, just run of the mill kind of like conservative kid? Like as a, do you remember having, I was really apolitical until I got out of the army. So you didn't, you weren't even, so you weren't like a kid walking around with like a protest sign, like say, you know, save the fetuses. Like I said, like my whole focus in high school and it was just having fun. And so like, sure, sure. I was like the kid in church that was like going hungover from partying the <laughs> night before. I was not like an advocate for their messages. I was just like, this is just the world I live in, whatever. That's, sure, sure, sure. Okay. You I were... didn't like passionately hold beliefs or anything. I was just like, this is what I'm taught to believe, whatever. Like sure. that's what the Bible says. Sure. And 
not terribly not terribly like ideological one way or another just like right even then like most of my childhood i was like why is this religion right like comparing mm-hmm. one to another I'm like i don't really believe in any of it and it's mm-hmm. just like this is the book you say is the right thing like i'll do it whatever okay but huh. i don't know i never like yeah okay it wasn't it wasn't super strong no gotcha okay so you got to the army and wh- <gasps> what was that transition like and like what were you what you said it before but say it again but like what were your what was like what was animating your your desire to be there it was in addition to the fact that you were like bored it was hard to find a job like what else like did you really believe in the idea of like you know american defense and i believed in american defense i was i think i was mostly looking for a thrill Mm -hmm. i remember when i joined and they were like If you join the army, you can pick your job. You don't even have to go to combat. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be infantry. I want to kick indoors. I want to do all the shit oh, I see in you... Call of Duty. Oh, wow. Okay. And like, because I'm like, I'm 19 and that's what right, you see right. in all the movies. Right. It's Rambo and Call of Duty. So like, that's, so that's intentional. <laughs> like the way that they market this to young men, like the, oh, the thrill. Definitely, and it yeah. worked for you. There's a lot like, I mean, there's thousands of jobs in there. Like you can be an airplane tech or you right. can do radio. You can pick whatever job. You can make sure you never leave the u.s yeah yeah um but you want but i think for the average like 19 year old Mm -hmm. in the war you're Mm -hmm. probably gonna be like i want to jump out of planes i want to shoot guns and yeah huh okay which i i was like i'm gonna serve my country i'm gonna get to do all the stuff i Mm -hmm. see in movies Mm -hmm. and have fun and be an adult and do cool shit Mm -hmm. i don't know do you think, did you become politically more aware and conservative when you entered, not when you, by the time you left, but when you entered, like, were you like fully drinking tea, like politically? I was, I mean, I was never political. Like, I mean. Not even when you joined the army. Not even when I joined. No. Like oh, okay. I remember cause I was in basic during the Obama McCain election mm-hmm. and I remember like, because I was never like ideological. I was a Republican because my parents. Were. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> it's like the same way people are doing. Yeah, it was like Obama are. seems great. I also loved Fidel Castro when I was in high school. <laughs> like, oh, okay. It, it's like my ideology was all over the place gotcha. growing up. Gotcha. And so, uh, like, I remember going to like Obama rallies mm-hmm. uh, before I joined, and mm-hmm. I was in basic mm-hmm. during that election. Uh, but I was, I, I didn't really care one way or another. Like, I thought Obama was great. He'd be cool. Like, I just hated Bush mm-hmm. at that time. Why? I mean, he was aggressive. Like, granted, I did believe at that time in the wars, but it was like, he was overly aggressive trying to create wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the economy cratered and they just didn't give a shit. They mm-hmm. destroyed public schools, tried to privatize. Right. So you were paying attention. You kind of were political. I was aware of the scandals going on. Okay. Like, I I didn't really... You weren't heavily invested, but you were aware. Right. Like, I wouldn't, like, read the news about it and, okay. like, research topics, but I would remember when all these things were going ah, on. Ah, I see. I see. I and see. And, like, the, wor- the country was not in a better place in 2008 than it was when he took office. That's right. That's right. And I knew that, like, there was just a national backlash against him. Mm-hmm. Like, even if I didn't... Whether I agreed or not with his politics, mm-hmm. like you could see everywhere, like the same thing you see with Trump. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You could see everywhere in the country, people hated Bush. The ambiance was just full. I lived of, in Seattle, yeah. which like very is blue. a very liberal city. Yeah. And you see like anti-Bush stuff everywhere you go. Yeah. And so like I knew he was gonna lose. Mm-hmm. Like, like I knew the Republicans were gonna lose okay. that election. I see. Okay. And Obama was like 
probably the most charismatic candidate ever to run. Yeah, so. that's right. Very charismatic. Huh. Okay. Um, so what was what was your time in the army like with from what you're willing to share? Because I imagine that ooh. I hated almost every minute of it. I made some good friends. I had a lot of fun. Uh why but, what about it did you hate? It might be obvious to you or people listening, but like what about it did you hate? I think it's just the culture of it. Like I mean you you know to a degree that it's gonna be tough. Like you know like you, it's very everyone knows of like the drill sergeants like you get yelled at you yeah. get have to do push-ups and there's discipline yeah but i also just remember like growing up like the i guess the propaganda of like war movies is like it's a brotherhood everyone's super tight-knit uh-huh. it's a family mm-hmm. and like you just don't really get that sense when you're actually in like it just seems what? like everybody hates their job and uh-huh. the people who if you even if you have like the most minor difference in mm-hmm. rank people mm-hmm. are just assholes like everyone wants power and control over mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. So there's and not I just this... remember like having friends that were the same rank and they got promoted before I did. Uh-huh. And then they would just be dicks afterwards. Oh. It was just like it just a culture of people. So you went in think the having an idea of like camaraderie and just like, you know, uh like a you know, a, a band of brothers type of deal, but it was I was like it's camaraderie with discipline, but like I didn't think it was just going to be as backbiting and, yeah. and and venomous. Huh. Okay. Um, wh- where were you deployed? Uh, Iraq. Where? Uh, it was Diyala province, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I don't know exactly how north or south it is, but it's on like the eastern border. Mm-hmm. So we were about maybe an hour and a half, two hours, kind of east, northeast of Baghdad mm-hmm. and about like a half hour from the Iranian border. How, how long were you there? Uh, a little over a year. Oh, okay. But, and then you were able to come back and you were done with your tour after that? or? Yep. Okay. And where were you politically ideology? Like, were there things that came into stark relief while you were over there or during your time in the army that sh- that was that made a marked difference in I how became you- very anti-war while I was there. Because? Uh, I mean, I don't really want to go into the specifics sure. of what happened, but it, it just became clear, like... When I was growing up, it was like we're fight like they're insurgents. It's like yeah. civilians. They're the terrorists masquerading as civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then being there is just like it's just a war against civilians. Like ah. it's just an occupation. You're driving uh-huh. trucks through people's houses. <laughs> and like they're like anyone military aged is like they're between ten and fifty. Yeah, yeah. Like if yeah. you're like you can't exist being sure. like a ten to fifty year old male without being treated like a wow. combatant. And wow. so it's just like this is not an actual war. This is just. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Did you do you think that you, what you you were realizing being over there? Do you think that that was widely shared around among the the colleagues you had or fellow? I, I mean, don't know the right word. To is, a but. degree, like I kind of gravitated towards the people who I agreed with on things. Of course, we, like, of course, sure. I mean, I was friends with people who believed in the war still, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like the people I spent the most time with were the ones that were like, "Fuck this!" Like I just went out. I yeah. don't want anything to do with this. Uh-huh. And yeah. Huh. Huh. Did you? Hmm. Did any resentment start to take root during that time for the like for the for the I don't know for the country that put you in that situation that put the Iraqis in that situation for the policies for the Greek like did you like what were your you said that you were anti you you felt very anti-war after when you were leaving but like can you think back and remember specifically why in addition to the fact that like okay this seems like we're just fucking with civilians in this country and that doesn't seem right like were there any like specific kind of like ah revelations epiphanies like 
thoughts are more than more than just that or was it just that not not just that i don't Um, mean to make that seem like that was negligible but or not important but i'm saying were there any other kind of like salient kind of epiphanies or revelations around war and the political um or or economic context of war that really turned you off i mean even before joining like everyone knew the war was for oil Mm-hmm. And so, like, the politics of the war I disagreed with, but mm-hmm. I still believed in the, like, national security side of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think being over there, it was like realizing it's against civilians. And when you're seeing, like, charred children and houses being leveled. Sure. When you're just driving trucks into people's living rooms. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not, like... This isn't... It's a horrifying experience sure. of, like, seeing you, like, being a part of a group that's just terrorizing civilians. I see. I see. And I didn't really see it at the time as like, this is what the country's doing to us. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of vets kind of internalized the PTSD for a long time. Uh, But like, I was just so disgusted with like our country's lying to people uh, and sending us to go just destroy people's lives. I see. And so I came back and was like, more just like, we need to fucking leave, like shut down our foreign bases, get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. And just leave people alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really think of like at that time of like how does PTSD affect people, uh-huh, uh-huh. and so yeah. I see, I see. What was your life like when you came back, and what did you end up doing? Did you go back to Seattle, or were you bouncing around a little bit? Or yeah, I mean, I was still enlisted when I got back, and so I went just back to Fort Lewis, which is like an hour south of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, we just went kind of back to work as normal, but it was calmer because we weren't like training for deployment but it was there was a lot more partying and so oh not is that uh, allowed i thought there was zero tolerance there is which is Ah, okay all right that yeah we i I mean i'm i can talk about that but uh yeah that like because i didn't like like i'd mentioned it's you don't really know how to deal with ptsd like so many people Mm -hmm. it's like you're just kind of conditioned to not seek treatment when you get back conditioned what do you mean Where you it's like that? you, there's so many like things like you have to go to this place. You have to go to the, like for various just work jobs. Mm-hmm. You have to be at this time and this, this place, this time, whatever. It's without, still without taking into account the, the additional like care that you might need. Yeah. And they, like the leadership structures like very much see treatment as mm-hmm. a sign of weakness. And so ah. they'll like, they're not technically allowed to punish you for going to treatment, but yeah, they'll yeah. just treat you like shit. I got you. If you're like missing work duty to go to see a counselor i see I and see. so when you're not huh. able to seek treatment and like figure out what's going on in your head yeah. a lot of us just like replace that with going out and partying I and you. getting into trouble I and so got you. Huh. that set me on a path towards getting out earlier than expected i see <laughs> yes i see i see huh okay i didn't you i'm trying to process everything that you're saying right now <laughs> because it makes sense when you explain it it just I don't know, from an, uh, as an outsider looking at you don't, I don't know the nuance of serving and, and what you right. have to deal with when you get back and how that isn't, how your care is not like prioritized, but that just seems, that doesn't make sense to me because it doesn't, that doesn't seem r- reasonable, but I mean, I guess that's the point. I don't know. I think that's very, there's very little that's reasonable when you're talking about a bunch of probably 18 to 25 year olds sure who have gone through the trauma of war <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah how old were you when you got back 
I, I turned 21 the day I got back from Iraq. Mm. And so that was another right, experience right. of itself, of being able to go to the bars. Sure. Wow. Okay. So you, you were... And I understand what you're saying. You're on the fast track to not being in the <laughs> army anymore. But like what, when you when through whatever mechanism that happened, but like what 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 were you doing or what were you thinking when you were not in the army? Like how like what did you think you wanted to do with your life or were you still trying to put yourself back together from what you had been through? Mm. I mean, I was just kind of aimless for a little while. Like, I got back in July of 2010, and I got out of the Army in March 11, mm -hmm. and just immediately went into a sales job. Back home just, in Seattle? Yeah. Okay. And I was just kind of, like, hustling tickets and all that, just kind of... It was just a job. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but mm -hmm. it was paying money. Right. And, uh, yeah, so I was just kind of doing that for the better part of a year mm -hmm. and what like what else is going on in your life at this time you just you're just trying to adjust to civilian life and, and yeah it was working. just re kind of reintegrating back into civilian life and mm -hmm. like trying to kind of grow up i guess what uh, do you mean when you say that i mean figuring out just like how to like have a normal job and mm -hmm. pay bills and do what i need to do like acclimate to like an adult life yeah an, an independent adult everything's life. very regimented in the army like you are to a degree independent mm -hmm. but you also like you don't have to pay rent because your housing's free you don't have to like go shopping for food because you have a chow hall yeah there almost everything's very much taken care of uh -huh. like the only thing i had to pay for was like cell phone and computer uh -huh. and car payments uh -huh. and all that uh -uh -uh. i see um okay Okay, and then what happened after the that year in the sales shop? I my I found out I was having a child, mm -hmm. and his mom is from here, so mm -hmm. uh, we you just kind of moved. Yeah, we okay. moved back down here, or okay. I moved here. She moved back uh -huh. uh, from Seattle, and then that was shortly before he was born. And oh, then I just you were kind a young of, yeah. parent. Yeah, I, I mean, was. You're still uh, a young I was twenty three when he was born. Wow. Uh, but yeah, basically I found out like a couple of days before Christmas mm. and then it was like New Year's Eve, got sober and wow. The, yeah. At that point, that was really when I was just like, I need to kind of get my life back on track because it's like just aimlessly wandering sure. while I have a child in the world. Yeah. I see. So it was the news of, of your, of your little one that really like, all right, we gotta, we gotta get it together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what, and how were you thinking about? At that point, like what it meant to like get it together, and uh, I mean, I need to be kind of like physically and mentally present. Ah, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think yeah. At that point, I was like just doing sales and like drinking all night the night before, and then I just see. hung over. And I'm like, I can't raise a kid living like this. I see. And so, yeah, it was just like working and saving up money to move and. Mm -hmm. At that point, I still hadn't really planned on going back to school, mm -hmm. um, but because your your focus was just like working, so you could be a good provider and good parent for your child. Yeah, just mm -hmm. all like working, like so I could provide for him, but also just like making sure I'm taking care of myself, so I that see. like I'm able to be there for him, and mm -hmm. he has like a role model. I see, I see. And so yeah, okay. And then the little one comes, but at at a certain point, your mind changes about school. Like, what was what was that like? And why did it change, do you think? I was, so like when I quit drinking, I 
like I said, I started doing all that stuff young. Mm -hmm. And so I really just at that point had no idea how to socialize and like what kinds of things I liked because my Hmm. social life was completely centered on substances and partying. Yeah. And so I picked up uh, just like reading comics and I wanted to like, I wanted to write and draw comics. And so for a lot of the first two, three years I lived here, Mm -hmm. it was just like collecting comics, drawing, writing stories and all that. And I started going to city college uh, so that I could take a drawing class. Ah. Yeah. Okay. And you, what was, what, what were, what was the biggest sort of difference between uh, living in the Pacific Northwest and San Francisco? Like what was the, what were some of the larger, like, like, Oh, okay. This place is different. Uh, There were a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between SF and Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I mean, the biggest one difference, I guess, is the weather. Yeah, Um, that's right. It's a lot more, I mean, the Bay Area is a lot more diverse than Seattle Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And so, especially seeing, like, the crises of displacement around Mm -hmm. the city, like, Mm -hmm. you can, it's that much starker. So that was what kind of started politicizing me, especially on, like, economic angle. Was seeing the the homeless situation. Like, homelessness, watching the mission get gentrified. Ah, uh-huh. Um, I mean, obviously like Bayview Hunters Point, Fillmore, like all these neighborhoods have just been decimated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's since the nineties, like, mm-hmm. I mean, well, probably even before that, mm-hmm. but like, especially, yeah. And you're noticing this change as you're starting, as you're, as you're getting ready to become a parent, as you're starting, um, with, uh, with the, was it creative writing at City College? Yeah. Uh-huh. I kind of, I did poli sci and create, uh, English at mm-hmm. City. Mm-hmm. So you're, so you're noticing all these things while you're going to school. Are there any are there any activities or groups or clubs at school that are kind of uh, further kind of aiding your your politicization as you're just kind of looking around and noticing the community and the state of, that it's in? Um, that I started going basically right as the accreditation crisis was kicking off. Explain to people what that is. So City College, I believe, in 2013, like end of 2012 or early 2013 uh they got threatened to get their accreditation stripped Mm -hmm. uh from the school the accreditation board that kind of oversees things has a lot of folks that are like pushing for transitioning the community college model towards like a junior college just to feed people into career programs and four-year universities Mm -hmm. uh, or privatizers that just want to shut down public colleges to push everybody to like phoenix and all these Mm for-profit kind of education systems and so that was kind of that was very present the whole time i was there Mm -hmm. of like wondering whether the school was going to shut down Mm -hmm. like even just in self-interest mode is like will this school be open and accredited long enough for me to get my credits to transfer out Mm -hmm. and also like it's such a vital asset for so many people in the city. Mm-hmm. Like the, the trades training programs go through city college. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just an accessible institution for it, regardless of your income, your yeah. background, yeah. you can go to a community college and yeah. get the classes you need, even if it's just for personal growth. Like yeah, that's right. I started going to like, I just want to take a drawing class. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to transfer out mm-hmm. and get a degree. I was like, I just want to learn how to learn draw. how to make comic books. Yeah. 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 Uh, but while I was there, I decided, I was like, oh, I like this poli sci class. I might want to go to Berkeley. Mm. Like, I just started picking up more programs. Mm-hmm. and kind which, of was affordable, which, was, which was accessible to do because it's affordable and it doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, you don't have to take out loans to take a drawing class necessarily or, right. or poli sci. It's like 50 bucks for a, 
credit or something like it's cheap it's like a couple hundred bucks for a whole semester right right so, yeah. which is which is and why now it's, it's so vital. free like yeah. i was going i moved away right before mm-hmm. it became free uh-huh. but it was still very cheap mm. what was what was going on when you started on the path when when you started taking poli sci courses what were what was kind of going through your head what were the things that were kind of blowing your fucking mind or was it just like reinforcing maybe earlier things you learned in like high school it was a very strange, like, political trajectory for me. Ah, like, uh, explain. Like I said, I mean, I grew up in a very Republican house. Sure. So, like, I think up until, like, 2012, I was just, like, I didn't really care about the politics. I was just, like, my family's Republican, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I became, like, a Ron Paul libertarian after I got out of the Army. So mm-hmm. I was just, like, shut down the wars. Like, I didn't know anything about economics at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um. There, I don't know. Like, I don't understand the appeal looking back at it. I just remember, like, around that era, there were a ton of vets that were just, like, extremely anti-war. Yeah, and he of was course. the only candidate that was, like, anti-war. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I started going to City College, and then I think my second semester there, I started, I took an econ class, and that was when I was like, oh, actually, none of these systems make any sense. Like, they don't work. Why do you uh, think you were thinking that? Or you I don't know, like, I just that. remember, like, growing up, like, I didn't understand, I was just like, yeah, you cut taxes for the rich, like, they pay people more money, like, whatever, like, it all just seemed like common sense stuff, uh-huh. and then as you're reading about, like, how supply and demand works, how you can kind of stimulate economic growth and increase people's wages, mm-hmm. like, how you can create, like, how unemployment increases demand, which stimulates the economy, which means people get paid more, and mm-hmm. consumers actually are the job creators, because... Yeah. They're buying products, mm-hmm. which increases the demand to create products. Yeah. And so just once you start understanding how all these systems work, it's like supply side economic, like the whole Reaganomics trickle down model just doesn't, it doesn't pencil out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, I went very much from like that kind of libertarian lens to like, I guess you're kind of like Paul Krugman, Liz Warren liberal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and. And but say it again, but say it a different way. The the reason the 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The the cudgel for that kind of split between being like an anti-war libertarian and and you know kind of a a spicy lib a little bit <laughs> was uh, understanding like understanding how what you once believed was not actually like uh didn't actually have a uh solid foundation in like our economic reality is that is that am i saying that correctly or i mean i guess so like i never understood why i believed what it is it was just like you see it enough you hear it enough yep. like you just believe it's true mm-hmm. but there were like i was never interested enough as a kid to like sure. research these topics sure. and then it was like oh once i start learning how mm-hmm. systems work yeah and you can i mean you can essentially like I don't necessarily believe in economics as like a hard science that proves one thing or another. No, of but it's not. very good at like setting. You you see all the factors that impact each other and mm-hmm. how like these minor tweaks can kind of snowball and lead towards bigger gotcha. trends or gotcha. in the long run. Would Would you have described yourself at this point when you're having these when you're when you're deepening your study about economics and poli sci at City College? How would you have described yourself politically at that point? Just like a liberal? Yeah, I was like. You're like a goofy liberal? I guess. Like, I just wanted to... I just wanted to write, like, 
political journalism and I was like, I liked liberal politics. I didn't really like brand myself. I was just like, I don't know. I just. I mean, looking yeah. back. Okay. That's fair. But I'm saying looking back, would you have just, would you, would you now describe yourself as kind of like a mainstream liberal? Like that's oh, what you were yeah. starting to transition I, Like at into. that time I was like thinking, I'm like, oh, I'm like a radical liberal. And like, it's just constantly like, I think late 20 that was what was that that was like late 2013 kind of mid 2014 ish was when i started like i went more like hard into the bernie camp by then what was going on that that created that i was just focusing a lot like i was just more aware of all the like economic issues and like he was the only one that was pushing for like free university Mm -hmm. and has always been very Mm anti-war and tax the rich Mm -hmm. and that was like the core thing like all i wanted to do at that point was like tax the rich free college and he's anti-war so cool Mm -hmm. like of most democrats he's always been on the right side of things Mm -hmm. and so yeah okay um so you were uh, were, so at this point were you still a full-time student were you working as well like i was full-time yeah like Mm -hmm. i was basically living off of army disability Mm -hmm. and financial aid for the two years i was at city Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh mostly because it's so cheap Um, (laughs) right but yeah Uh and so yeah i just hammered away with uh econ or not econ i did uh English and poli sci at City. Mm-hmm. And you said that you were interested in political germ- journalism. At that point, what was what form was that taking? My, I mean, my goal, like, like I said, I was w- originally wanting to write comics, mm-hmm. and then I was always a big fan of like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. And so, it's like, Gonzo journalism. I want. I just wanted to write comics and be like a rebellious journalist that covered politics news. And uh, what, what at that point, what would have been your dream job? Like a column in Rolling Stone, or what? Yeah, I guess like writing in Rolling Stone or The Nation, mm-hmm. uh, writing books with political commentary, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I didn't really mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just ways to kind of illustrate uh, social problems and how our politics and society just interact and are, in my opinion, just completely rotting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um and so you kind of you kind of continued on that path, um, and 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 Bernie Sanders became a figure that kind of uh, represented many of the things that you were interested in: taxing the rich, free college. You said one other thing, which anti-war, was anti-war. Yeah. Um, and that were you involved at all in his 2016 campaign? I did some canvassing uh, in New York. Uh, I moved. Uh, to New York to transfer to Columbia. Whoa! So, for under for the rest of your undergrad or masters or what? Uh, for the rest of undergrad, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. What was it? Why? Why did? Why Columbia? Um, I. It's kind of a funny story because the whole time I was at City, I just wanted to go to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I just remember they said it was like it's such a long shot to get it, and they were like, "You have you have to have a three point eight or higher." to basically even be considered to get into a poli sci program at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I had a three nine there, but mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get in. I'm just going to cast a huge net. Like uh-huh. every school I can get into mm-hmm. or whether I can get into or not. I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to apply and see. Yeah. And worst case, I don't get in and somebody lets me in. Sure. 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 Um, and so, yeah, I applied to the UCs and the CSUs that I wanted and was at like a, college fair for 
where they all had booths and one of my friends was like you should go check out columbia and i'm like i knew the name at the time yeah, but yeah. i was just, like i said when i was growing up i just was not interested in school so i was like i know columbia is a good school but like where is that like i had no idea what it was yeah. outside of like it's famous yeah because my context of school growing up like colleges were more known to me for their football programs uh-huh, like of course I was like, I'm a Huskies fan growing up because UW yeah, is right. in my backyard. Or like USC's winning the Rose Bowl. Or yeah. like my favorite NFL players went to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. Those are the, I'm like, these are the best schools in the country because they win championships. Yeah, because they're good at Not sports. because like Harvard is the top university in the world or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Sure. So yeah, when he was like, you should check out Columbia. I'm like, where's that? He's like, it's in New York. <laughs> and I was like, my kid's here. Like, yeah. why would I go to New York when right. I can go to Berkeley? Right, right. But I was just like, whatever, I'll, I'll go talk to them. And they had like, they had a specifically creative writing program, Mm -hmm. which most of the schools I was looking at didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Or they did, but it was like a subdivision of the English department. And so I was just like, I just want like a creative writing. Like, it's cool that they have a specific program. Mm -hmm. And like in looking at writers that have come out of there, it's like Hunter S. Thompson, who's like obviously at the time my favorite writer ever. Right. And like uh, Jack Kerouac, J.D. Mm-hmm. Salinger, all these big names of like the beat generate. Like, I mean, you name like your stereotypical genre of like twenty-something white guy writing about being <laughs> disaffected. I'm like, sure, this is me. Yeah. All my favorites are there. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I wanted to go there for the writing program, and they had a good. I mean, Joseph, like, because I was interested in economics, and so it was like Joseph Stiglitz. It's cool that he's a Nobel winner and he teaches there. Right and on. So. So you were a double major? You did creative writing and economics or creative writing and poli-sci? At or? City, I did poli-sci in English. Uh-huh. And then I kind of hopped around between poli-sci and creative writing. And then I wound up triple majoring. Triple majoring at Columbia? Three. Yeah. Holy shit. How long How long were you there to get through a triple uh, three major? years. So okay. I did my two at City and then three at Columbia. Did you lose your mind at Columbia? Yes, definitely. Okay, I need a story about how you lost your goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically, I, you're not gonna answer that. Not right now. What I don't do you know. mean? <laughs> the, it, Julian, I gotta, go ahead. I gotta get to it. You okay. know. All right, I'll, I'll warm you up. I'll okay. just kind of go on the gas pedal and get through it a bit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess my first year there, I like I drove out all the way to New York from SF. Ooh, that was a fun drive. I went the southern route, like uh-huh. down to LA, to Georgia, and then up the coast, uh-huh. and very quickly learned that I hate humidity. Yeah. Um, but it's a gorgeous drive. Yeah. I love, I especially love the desert. So driving through like Arizona and New Mexico mm-hmm. is, it's beautiful. But yeah, I guess like my first year there was super fun. Um, fun how? I mean, just a new city, new classes mm-hmm. and meeting friends. And it was like the Bernie campaign, like leading up to the 2016 prime. Cause it was okay. like, I got there in the fall of 15. So mm-hmm. it was like, Yeah. We had spring and we had the fall and part of the spring semester mm-hmm. of like Bernie, 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 Bernie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just like a normal year there where I was like, I took econ and my first semester I hated it. Mm-hmm. Well, not econ, but calculus. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, as much as I like, I like the numbers field of econ, I'm very much more oriented towards the system side of things and like looking at more at the patterns than like individual numbers tell me tell me what you mean by that and why i mean so like if you increase if you like if you provide free tuition to universities that means your general 
population is going to be more educated, which Mm -hmm. means they're probably going to be happier in the workplace. Mm -hmm. They're going to make more Mm -hmm. and they'll be more productive. Mm -hmm. And so that will increase like economic growth. It'll increase like social cohesiveness and Mm -hmm. class mobility. Mm. Um, And so like, how do you kind of engineer society through policy side more Uh, than like, how do you quantify it? Like I did not care about quantifying. Like, I mean, I can do the research on that, but like, yeah, I'm more interested in like how do you can restructure I, things more than how do you kind of regulate and measure. Can uh, uh, tell me if I'm uh, tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. You're interested on how how policy can affect like society at the macro level. Yes. Um, and not necessarily like. I'm I'm more on the macroeconomic side than micro. Gotcha. So, yes. Okay, and that's more interesting to you because I see it as more impactful. Uh, like if you want to, uh, like move more people from lower class to middle class or shrink the upper class, Mm -hmm. you need to figure out like, how do you, you you, like, you need to create wealth tax. Like what kind of, like you can change the tax rates and be like, we're going to move 1% of people, but like it's how do you tax their overall wealth? How do you kind of measure these? How do you measure things in systems Mm -hmm. and to actually affect change? And why is that important for you? Or why is that interesting to you? Because I think if you just kind of keep regulating around the margins mm-hmm. and just kind of like, we're going to adjust the income tax rate by 3%. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to change anything. It's mm-hmm. going to give you a little bit more funding to fund something, but mm-hmm. it's going to, somebody's going to cut that tax again. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, you're not going to, it doesn't create the change you need at the urgency and scale you need, especially mm-hmm. as you have like an economic crisis now mm-hmm. and environmental collapse. Sure. <laughs> like, we need to massively make like finance a green new deal within the next few years. Mm-hmm. Like we can't keep kicking that can down the road. Like we need to tax Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. We need to start taxing the shit out of Wall Street banks. Mm-hmm. We need to build public banks to finance green. We can get into public banking and all that yeah, as yeah. we get into that later. Uh, but you were thinking at the time in these same terms. Yeah, I'm like you need to restructure the economy to uh-huh. do things, and you can't do that just through quantifying sure. data like date like. Uh, I see micro as a very good supporter of macro, Mm -hmm. but like to achieve the goals that we need socially, Mm -hmm. like macro and these like major economic policies are the vehicle to actually kind of shifting political, the politics and culture. I see. Okay. Um, And was this, uh, was the urgency that you were feeling at this time? Was that, where was that coming from? Was that just, understanding your condition growing up was that understanding like uh how all of these issues like uh come together and feed on each other from uh, bernie's first campaign run was it just like your your independent self-study like where where was this urgency kind of being fed or stoked it was kind of a lot of things but i guess i mean i guess the most immediate is just like watching like the process of gentrification happen like you see so many in, people in north are, carolina uh, I, not, in I mean new like york in, or here? In, in a combination of like in san francisco and new york and seattle like i remember very briefly like in the time that i lived in seattle right as the recession was happening it was like there was just such a rapid development mm-hmm. i mean like here we have a housing crisis and in seattle they do too right uh, I think a big thing is Seattle doesn't have rent control and they uh, redeveloped very rapidly and uh-huh. rents just skyrocketed. Like it was just a massive influx of high rise mm-hmm. units. And uh, yeah, almost everyone I know 
does not live in Seattle. They moved out into the cheaper suburbs. Because they got priced out. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was, it was you understanding the condition of the people in your life that created this urgency through which you started to understand like policy being the most effective vehicle for change. Yeah. I'm like the best way I think to help keep people in their homes is through major economic policy mm-hmm. change. And sure. so I'm like, yeah, sure. They can get better. Like, I mean, it also like, you can't just go get a better job. You need to go <laughs> to school to get the training, to get more technical jobs or higher paying jobs. And those, there needs to be funding for all these things. Like, mm-hmm. at, like, government policy is the fastest way to enact change and so ah uh, i see and looking at it through like i know my like my son's mom is like multiple generations back from mm-hmm. sf mm-hmm. and not long after i moved away they got priced out of the city Hi, and yeah, so yeah. i'm like it's tough when like my kid is i think sixth generation san franciscan and yeah they got priced out to the east bay and so i'm like mm. it's even though like I moved here, I'm like, it's a personal thing for me. And like, I've seen, like, I know my friends that have been priced out of their hometown. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to understand that like, this is devastating San Francisco and cities all over the country. And uh-huh. It's like, how do you start repairing these problems? Uh, yeah. I see. I see. Okay. And now you can tell me how you lost your mind in New York. You can, um, you can do that. It was <laughs> probably right around the time of the primary in New York. Uh-huh. I remember cause, uh, well, I don't remember exactly why, like the time. I think it was just because I wasn't really all that interested. In, like I wasn't doing campaign stuff at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, it's a funny story because one of my friends I met during orientation, uh-huh. he was one of those types. It's like very ambitious. And uh-huh. was like, I'm going to be student body president of this school. And I was like, cool, you have fun with that. Yeah, I'm going to go, go to it. class and have fun. Sure. But it's a funny thing because they have a rule that uh, all elections have to be contested so that there's not like... A student election where somebody just runs and by default wins because mm-hmm. nobody else ran. Uh-huh. And so he was running and nobody else was running. So he was like, hey, I need you to put your name in mm-hmm. so that there's an election. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, you just need me to be there. You'll win, whatever. I put my name in and I accidentally won. Whoa, what? How did you accidentally win, Julian? I don't know. Like part of it, I think, well, I, I mean, I had a good social life. Like I had a lot of friends, but mm-hmm. also like... I just expected he was going to win. So I'm like, I don't want to get completely blown out. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be embarrassing if I get like 5% of the vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I did just enough, like, please vote for me, like kind of campaigning. Just mm-hmm. like, don't don't let me get embarrassed. Sure, sure, sure. And then the results came out and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what did that mean after your accidental win? First of all, was Homeboy real upset? He was very mad, yeah. Okay, well, uh, run a better campaign. Which, it's okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um... I mean, at that point, I was like, oh, well, I won. I guess I got to do this. Like, I'm going to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, and so there was already kind of a process. Like, the food insecurity is a big problem there. At like, Columbia? Yeah. For students? Yeah. At an Ivy League school? Mm-hmm. Why, what, are the, what is the nature of the food insecurity issue there? Um, I mean, it's a, one is it's a for-profit university. They charge a lot of money for food. Uh-huh. Uh they don't provide very much funding for students. Wow. Uh, and there's a lot of student like, I mean, there's the stereotype Ivy League student that's mm-hmm. like well-connected, rich parents. They can pay for school. Yeah. There's also a lot of students that don't come from those backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of homelessness in really? Columbia. There's a lot of like housing insecure students, huh. people that are like, I mean, 
my main way of feeding myself throughout the first year of school was just going to clubs because they had like pizza and they had food. And wow. So I would get most of my meals just going from event to event. Really? And out with friends. Wow, 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 wow. And okay. so that's like a main way for a lot of students to feed themselves. And uh-huh. so we started a food bank. Wow. Okay. You like you, that was one of your initiatives. It was in the pro like, I, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't, I, it's, it's a lot of people's credit. Like we, yeah, it was no, I, in the process it. and we just provided the first funding. Sure. Launch it. I, um, I've heard of, I've heard of these initiatives of, um, of like food banks for, for students like that are food insecure at undergrad. But I thought that was, I, I only heard that in the context of like state schools or, or like kind of big public universities, which. I mean, it still doesn't make sense, but it, that makes more sense than an Ivy League school with like a huge endowment. The students having to agitate for a food bank because students are so food in, like that, that. That's really not connecting in my brain. It wasn't even like agitating for it. Like they were trying to get like the school just would not acknowledge food insecurity as a problem. And so the students just had to fun, like the students have like there's four there's four undergrad schools. Right. So you have Columbia College, mm-hmm. which is the main like the one everybody thinks of for undergrads. Uh, there's Barnard, which is the women's college yep. there. There's uh, C's, which is the School of uh, Engineering and Applied Sciences. Mm-hmm. And then there's General Studies, which is for non-traditional students. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot, of, like that's where transfer students, I mean, they're all, they all are completely integrated together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like different applications processes for different populations and interests. Sure. Um, and so I was on the General Studies mm-hmm. Council there. But each student council gets like student funding to do events yeah. and programs and whatnot. And so all the councils just pooled together to fund. Uh, that didn't shame Columbia into like figuring something out for their hungry ass students? No, they had to fund like the students funded their fu- food bank for wow. two years, I think, before the university provided any funding. Seriously? Yeah. The, were you all like. So it was like we each had to like we had a budget of like. $200,000 I think for uh-huh. the yearly programming but there's so much stuff that like is automatic like basically you only get like I think 50,000 in discretionary fund. I mean it's it sounds like a lot of money it's not that it's, much no that's not a stuff. lot yeah and so it's like when you have to think about like all the events of like career programming and social events mm-hmm. to kind of help students get integrated into the student body yeah and we're like where are we gonna like we can't just completely like not do programming for people yeah because people expect that, but like we also need to fund the food bank. Wow! So it's like we ha- we I think we gave like twenty thousand of our budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it, it was basically each school was trying to we, like I think we did the biggest, but yeah, it was like everyone had to make these major cuts wow. in the budget to make sure that to students were people. being fed. Yeah. Wow. What and were you even because you had to allocate so much money to food? Were you able to do anything around the housing issue, or that's just impossible because it's New York? Like, I mean, we couldn't really do much because like this. Students don't have any say over uh, housing for the university. It's all administration. No, 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 I know, but, but you weren't. Were you able to start? Like, for instance, like when I when I interviewed Joshua Ochoa, like, and and he right. does work with uh, the under under in student government at SF State. Like, they they worked with the university to put together like an emergency housing program for students. I'm saying, like, were you guys able to even do that, or it's just like food? Like, we can handle food we did and food, programming. Yeah. Wow. There was, I mean, there was always a push to get more students into housing, and yeah, for me, it was also like a conflict because, like, we wanted more affordable housing for students, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of the cultural kind of conflict there of like if you're aware, uh, Columbia is in Harlem, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, f- 
for the university to buy more housing, it means they need to take housing ah, from the Harlem community. I and see. it's like there's vicious gentrification there too. Yeah. And so it's always like you like trying to be conscious of like if you're asking for more for I students, see. you're screwing over the community that you're ah. supposed to be like helping out also. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to find like creative ways to like how do we get students into housing that's not like displacing people who live in the neighborhood. Right. And this is at a time also where like the university used eminent domain uh, <laughs> to take blocks of housing yeah. to build a new campus. Wow. And everyone hated it, but they were like, it's going to bring all this money into the university. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we don't care. You're destroying Harlem. had to organize a food bank for students at an Ivy League school. (laughs) That is so shameful and still kind of blowing my mind. (laughs) All right, ready to learn about public banking and why it's important for the left? Well, head on over to Patreon for part two of my interview with Julian. Check it out at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what's left to do. If Patreon isn't your thing and you'd still like to support this work, you can go to whatsleftodo.com slash support and send us a donation in the tip jar. Okay, see you over on Patreon for part two.